The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Are we having fun yet, my friends? In finance, that's what the show's all about, high finance. We're going to weave in some high fidelity. Uh, it's been a slug, hasn't it? Um, that's what the markets are every now and then. It can't always be good. Uh, if it was always good, well, there'd be no return to be made. Uh, you know what I mean by that? You know, uh, Risk-free returns are very, very low. And, uh, well, risk-free returns uh, offer very little in the way of return, but there's also very little in the way of risk. And if the market was risk-free, you'd have no return. Does that make sense? Jack, does that make sense to you, my friend? It does, Wolf. It does. But I will say that the risk-free rate is rising with the, the central bank's rising rates. And that sort of uh, goes right into the real estate market with our, our friend Drew Donaldson. Indeed, our next guest, uh, Drew Donaldson, uh, Donaldson Capital. He's a mortgage broker. I personally used him to help secure my uh, mortgage. And uh, so much has changed. I, uh, I took I took out a, a mortgage after not having one for 20 years. Uh, and... Uh, Went prime. I couldn't believe how cheap money was. I said, I, I can't sell stock and pay tax. I got to borrow this money. Uh, and so I did. And uh, well, the rate's prime minus three quarters, but I can't even keep up uh, with this variable rate. Meaning uh, prime has changed so rapidly. Uh, Drew, where are we at right now with prime rate? And uh, more importantly, how high do you think prime will go before they stop uh, cranking up interest rates? Yeah, thanks for having me, Wolf. Um... Like you said, I mean, you know, I guess rapid is is, is the right word for it. Uh, Prime is currently at 3.7%, which has been a 1.25% added in the last, you know, three to four months here. So we had a 25 basis point hike, then a 50 basis point. We had another 50 on, on June 1st. Um, and as a lot of people probably saw, the Fed actually in the U.S., they hiked by 75 basis points yesterday which really puts the pressure on the Bank of Canada to go either 50 or 75 in July. So if they go 75 basis points, which is three quarters of 1%, my friends, prime rate is going to basically move to 4.5%, 445, correct? Correct. And and you know what? We keep seeing it going from there. I mean, we'll probably see another 50 basis points in September. Um, all data dependent, you know, as long as the trend continues. And then maybe another 25 or 50 before year end. So you could be almost a 5% prime uh, by the end of 2022. Wait a minute. We're at 3.7 right now uh, at the next meeting, which is taking place when, gentlemen? Uh, July 13th. It's in July. July 13th. July 13th. So it, after July 13th, the, the interest rate could be somewhere between four and a quarter and four and a half. Uh, if it were to be four and a half, uh, in July, Drew, uh, again, how many more hikes uh, and how high do you think the peak prime would be? Uh, from there, I would say between 50 basis points to the absolute max 100 basis points. <laughs> so, you know, if we went to 4.45% in July, um, 50 basis points from there would be 4.95 by the end of the year. And if it went another 25 or 50, you know, you'd, you'd just be over 5%. So, Drew, let's take it to the street. Um, 
what are you what are what are customers saying to you uh, the, the mood has definitely changed in the mortgage market uh what type of scenarios uh are you seeing that are uh i think very timely to discuss drew yeah i mean you know i i literally just got off a call um you know, this morning, 9 a.m. call, and, and the person, they couldn't sell their home, right? They can't sell their townhome. It's on Bloor Street, like on the part of the city. They're, they're finishing a construction build on a on a new house, and they're looking to refinance. But obviously, that changes a lot of the numbers if you have to carry the debt on the current place. Um, and what I told them was this, don't get too cute on the price. I mean, they believe, you know, the, the market's going to bounce back in, in September, October. All will be good. And I said to them, I said, you know what, I'm a long-term bull. I believe in the Canadian housing market. But right now is not the time to kind of take added risk. Um, in their situation, I said, you know what, try to offload the, the, the townhome uh, in the next 30 days here. And we can process the refinance on the house, which is really accomplishing their goal of finishing this brand new home, moving in and getting that property the the, the problem with real estate is people get emotionally attached to the asset. And so as much as they've lived in that townhome for many years and they believe it's at a certain price today, you know, whether the, the price is 1.4 or even 1.2, they've still done well over the last seven years. So they should just maximize the profit and, uh, and, and, and kind of move on. Well, you know, again, that, that, that is the way it is. Things do adjust in price. And of course, people high watermark what something is worth, and, and they're not willing to admit that something perhaps has changed in, uh, over the course of time. The stock market does that change of price for you automatically. Uh, it, it basically forces the new price right in front of you, whereas with real estate, it's not nearly as transparent, uh, which makes it, I, I think, a more drawn out process. Again, my call is if we are going to see further weakness in real estate, I think it's going to be extended because price adjustment just seems to take that much longer. Do you think I'm on the right track with that statement, Drew? 100% Wolf. I, I agree with that statement. Um, you know, and that's the problem right now is people are kind of, you know, the, the fear of prices correcting slightly is they, but the actual interest rates, I mean, we have rate holds from February and March that are still in the twos. Right, that are coming in June. We've got. Uh, I'm issuing variable rates right now, uh, still at like 2.99 percent. So people are still paying that lower interest rate. The problem is on the horizon. We see a lot of risk because once those rates get right up into the five percent range, then the asset price has to uh, reflect that new interest rate, and and that's where I see the fall market not getting better. Possibly, probably, probably getting a little bit worse. And then in 2023 might be a great buying opportunity for many, but in the short term, there's there's plenty of risk. You know, again, it makes sense. Again, I go back to your scenario of that individual who had a townhome. I guess they then decided to buy uh, a bigger home, uh, which required work. So they went and purchased a, a bigger home, but they didn't sell the existing home. They obviously want to wait to the last minute. Uh, and again, perhaps to try to get top dollar, but that strategy is currently not working out for them. Again, I go back to the equity market, uh, ladies and gentlemen at home. Uh, again, if, if you're going to buy something, you better sell something to pay for it as opposed to putting yourself on additional margin. Uh, once again, the market is down, uh, what now into bear market territory for the S&P 500. But I'll reflect on uh, the work that Jack and I do for our clients and our growth mandate year to date is down about 13% uh, net of fees. Um, 
And I don't like being down 13%. However, when you're up 20% three years in a row, uh, which is an excessive outsized return, uh, to, to expect to give some of it back, my friends, I think is very reasonable. To expect to get the high watermark, I think is unreasonable. And to enter into any kind of a market expecting to exit at the peak, I think is naive. And so we have to you know, be honest with ourselves about the changing landscape. And at the same time, I think it's so important that risk is managed. In other words, Drew, back to your scenario, if that individual takes your good advice and accepts market prices for what they are on that um, uh, townhome, uh, they're going to be very, very uh, well served. But if they extend it and prices do fall further, which I certainly can see, who, like, who can argue with me that Canadian housing got extremely stretched? And when you stretch an elastic band too far, what happens when you let go of it? Right? What happens? Bang! Uh, it hurts on the other end. So... Um, I think it's within reason uh, to, to, to sort of prepare for the worst and hedge your bets. Uh, look, long-term asset prices rise. If you own Microsoft over the next 10, 20 years, it's worth more money and Google and Facebook and Apple. And yes, the townhouse at Young and Bloor as well. But in the short term, when you have such change taking place uh, at a very big level, which is global interest rates are rising. Not Canadian rates, not US rates, all interest rates are rising. The question is to what degree? Uh, and I think things that got most extended are going to see the highest uh, rate of change when it comes to interest rate policy. Jack, I want you to pipe in here. Yeah, absolutely. Rate of change, it, it really matters in our market. And um, what we're seeing right now is, uh, I'm going to say, a normalization of interest rates, but just at a very rapid pace, which you know, if you're caught offside, you know, Warren Buffett has, has said it multiple times. It's a bit of a cliche, but, uh, you know, when the tide goes out, you get to see who's swimming without a bathing suit. And I think maybe people that took on some additional leverage over the last couple of years paid up for a house um, are going to find it difficult, especially if they have a, a folding rate mortgage that is, uh, you know, moving towards, I'm going to say that 5% range with the, the prime rate there. Um, the, the question I'd have for Drew is new mortgages coming up. What are you seeing there, uh, especially with uh, the, the stress test? So the stress tests are, I believe, whatever rate you qualify for plus 2%. So um, up to this point, the variable rate has moved, but not that dramatically, uh, especially relative to where it's going. Um, what's your view on that, uh, especially as it relates to affordability in the Canadian housing market? Yeah, I mean, the good thing about the Canadian market is uh, when people come up for renewal, they always get a renewal letter or offer in the mail from from their current provider. So if they can't qualify by moving the new mortgage based on the stress test, um, which is currently 5.25% or 2% above the contract rate, like you mentioned, um, I think it's important to note that, you know, if I'm issuing a, a variable mortgage at 2.99 today, then I get to use the 5.25% qualifying rate. But if I give the client a 499 five-year fixed rate today, which is basically what the five-year fixed rate is going, some even over 5%, I now have, now have to add the 2% to that, and they're qualifying at a 7% uh, qualifying rate, which drastically changes the numbers. So if someone comes up for renewal, um, we always say, you know, let us know exactly what the bank has, has offered you. We'll try to get you better, but it's assurance there that if they don't qualify elsewhere based on the new stress test, they can just sign without any underwriting at their current provider. 
My friends, the times they are changing. Uh, interest rates are ripping and roaring higher, albeit off an extremely historical low base. Really what's taking place is normalization, but sometimes we don't like normal because it feels sort of like the new normal. Drew Donaldson, uh, president, founder, CEO of Donaldson Capital. Uh, Drew, uh, a long-standing guest on Hi-Fi Radio. I'm going to say a good partner to the Wolf on Bay Street. Uh, we often recommend clients uh, shop the mortgage market and they use a full-service broker who can fully shop the market and truly get them the best deal on the ultimate commodity, uh, which is crude. Uh, well, him the dark, his dog bark, uh, going to take a quick break, uh, give him some water, and get right back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, 640 Toronto. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. The Golden Goose in Canada. It has been for so long a golden goose, the Canadian home. Cherished, loved, adored, uh, levered up, um, respected, uh, committed to, uh, could do no wrong. Infallible, yes, real estate investing, infallible. Can't go wrong when you buy real estate in Canada, can you? Well, my good friends, you can't until you can, or you can until you can't, uh, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, Real estate is so dependent on interest rates globally, my good friends. Um, yes, Canada is a great country, and yes, there's uh, uh, immigration uh, taking place at a very rapid pace. Um, yes, there is a housing shortage, um, but interest rates is... Jack, what do you think? Half of the equation in terms of the valuation of a home, Drew? Well, what's your call? How significant are interest rates? And again, I, I, I table that question because interest rates, ladies and gentlemen, have risen and are going to rise a fair bit more before the day is out, uh, meaning the year is out. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about that for a second, guys. How significant are interest rates, Jack? I gotta say, I gotta say, it's underappreciated. That's all I can say with that. But yeah. the reason why I'll okay. say that is good points. Good point. When you look at it, when you look at it, uh, rising interest rates, prices haven't adjusted that much from from my perspective, from what we've seen so far. Although they're weak, they're they're still relatively uh, high. If you ask any real estate agent, you know, it's, it's still. Uh, I'm not gonna say a balanced market. It's, it's certainly more of a buyer's market now than it was six months ago. But the big the big question now is affordability, right? Prices haven't adjusted enough, and when you look at affordability. It doesn't make more sense to own or rent. And it's starting to tilt for the first time, I'm going to say, in the last 10 years towards a renter's market. Because, you know, if you look at the average home in Canada and what you have to uh, pay in terms of interest versus what you can rent for, uh, especially if, if interest rates are rising and you expect prices to moderate a little bit more, it starts to skew towards the rental market. So interest rates uh, matter a whole lot, especially when you take it back down to the ground level. Affordability, own versus rent. Drew, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. It's, uh, I mean, what you find, especially in the Toronto market, is you find the high income earners who, you know, maybe they're not wealthy by definition today, but their income warrants, uh, you know, they can basically afford whatever they want from a mortgage perspective. 
So a lot of those people, they pull forward. They say, okay, I'm making a million dollars today. Um, I might, might only have 300000 or let's say 500000 in savings or a million dollars in savings, but I want to go buy that 4 or $5 million house. And they say, based on a monthly payment, if the monthly payment's even $10,000 a month, you know, I can easily afford that based on my income. So let me pull forward the pleasure of owning a very nice home and asset, and typically it always goes up. Once interest rates adjust, I think a lot of those people who buy other homes or even just cottages because the monthly payment is quite low and they don't see it as a a big factor to their situation, I I think that really begins to change. Well, Drew, let's do the math again, if you don't mind. Um, To borrow, uh, let's use a million dollars, average price of a home in Canada or in Toronto. Uh, uh, To borrow a million dollars at prime today versus where prime is going. Uh, so prime today is uh, three point seven. You think prime is going to go say to five and a quarter? So what's the monthly payment today at three point seven, and what's it going to be at, at, at five and a quarter? Yeah, if I run the numbers, it's uh, four thousand five eighty six a month. That's a million dollars, thirty year amortization at three point seven percent. If I do the same thing. Uh, you know, on the on the let's say five and a quarter, you're looking at five thousand four eighty seven. So forty six hundred dollars a month through to borrow at three point seven percent. We think rates are going to go up over five percent. At which point, to borrow that same million dollars uh, would take your monthly payment up by nine hundred dollars to fifty five hundred dollars. Uh, so the question, friends at home, uh, you know, if you're in this predicament where you have a variable rate mortgage, you have to ask yourself today. Uh, can you afford to pay the increased uh, monthly that will come your way upon renewal of that mortgage? And again, that's important too, Drew. I want you to speak to that because uh, again, I have a five-year variable that I'm about two years now into the term. So my monthly payment currently will not change until maturity. But is there any clauses in there if interest rates really gallop uh, higher that they could in fact force me to increase my monthly payment? Obviously, upon renewal, that's really when I'm going to get hit with the change in monthly payments. Uh, between now and then, amortization is just going to get extended, correct, if rates rise? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So each bank and lender has a different set of variable rate uh, requirements in their product. Some actually adjust the payment every single time that Prime goes up. Um, yours is, is different, where it actually doesn't adjust if you don't want it to. Now, if you there is a clause in there that if you ever hit a negative amortization, so basically, your monthly payment doesn't carry the interest due on the month. At that point in time, they reset the payment um, to the new, based on a 30-year amortization and a new payment. And that, if we ever got to that point, which is probably another, you know, two and a half to three percent increase in prime, then there would be a lot of borrowers that, you know, would would really feel that higher payment. Oh, sorry. What what would Prime have to be to hit to, to hit that threshold? Uh, Prime would have to be just over six percent. Ooh, <laughs> interesting, indeed. Um, Jack, delayed gratification. Um, we talk about this frequently, and the importance, my friends at home, of being able to delay gratification. Uh, how do you see this tying into this equation, Jack? Well, for the last, I'm going to say the last. Uh, 10 to 15 years, the Canadian housing market has been a, a market of uh, fear of missing out, fear of not being able to buy a house in Canada, fear of not being able to live in the city that you want to. Um, now, I would say there's been a pivot, right? Fear of buying the top, 
right? But up to this point, um, as Drew was talking about earlier, people were extending themselves probably further along than they should, meaning, you know, they have a big income, but they don't have the asset base to buy the house that they want. So all they can do is really afford the monthly payments. So the fear of missing out really drove a lot of that uh, housing market for the last thing I say, at least 10 years and definitely in the last two years. Um, but as a, a long-term investor, having patience, looking for opportunities, um, knowing that you know there will be stress in the market at some point, those are attributes of long-term successful investors. So it's, it's not a difficult, it's not an easy thing to do, especially when housing prices are rising. And it really has worked against you for the last, at least two years anyways. And if you think longer term, for sure, over the last 15 as well. But um, maybe there's a pivot now. Maybe it will actually benefit the patient investor in the housing market. Well, that's just it. Um, you don't want to rush into anything. You got to really think strategically when you are investing. And, and real estate truly is no different. Look, I would say if you're saving for retirement uh, and if you want to, uh, you know, uh, you know, retirement savings for dummy, write a book on that. Dollar cost average, which means every month, put a thousand bucks aside, buy the market, close your eyes for 30 or 40 years, you're going to make money. Historically speaking, statistically speaking, anecdotally speaking, and empirical evidence uh, suggests you're going to make very good money. Uh, so you could take a real passive approach with something like that. But when you're talking about, you know, a multi-million dollar asset, and again, I Jack, you know what I'm talking about when I say there are people who are in their first time home. They've been wanting to move up the market, uh, but have just not found that perfect place at the perfect price. And again, I think that's a good example of delayed gratification. Again, if you're thinking of moving up the market, you may get your opportunity. Again, COVID presented a quick opportunity there, too. And I, I believe I took advantage of that. Um, but again, I think another opportunity for the patient investor to, to, to buy some good, <laughs> some amazing real estate. Uh, at better pricing, I think, is in front of us. Uh, so certainly some shopping is in order, but we don't rush into such decisions. Um, Drew, uh, and that's what you see, Wolf. example of the type of uh, situations that you're hearing from people uh, that, that gives you reason for concern. Uh, again, you're, you're front lines, you know, lending money. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, you know, the situation I mentioned earlier, that, that's not just them. There's other people going through that. But the, the real big kind of carrot to all this is if unemployment actually moves. So Jerome Powell for the Fed said yesterday that from a macro perspective, unemployment's far too low. I think it's at 3.5% in, in the U.S. And Canada's all, you know, all-time low as well. The, the difference is if you know the grocery store, the, the person gets hit, oil prices get hit, now interest rates people get hit. All that is not fun, and you have to pay higher costs. But if you actually lose your job, which could happen, I don't think, you know, there's no Armageddon scenario here, but if it goes from a 3.5% to a 5.5%, like Powell mentioned, which is kind of what he's shooting for, it, that 2% of people that actually lose their job can also not pay the mortgage. And that's when um, price is correct. But I like how you think, Wolf, I mean, you know, just like Warren Buffett, it's, it's the opportunity that that is going to present if you're well-positioned your patient, maybe in 2023 is the time to upgrade your home. You know, anytime there's turmoil in the market, it, it does present an opportunity. It and that's just does, a classic. But, but, no, but you, you make say, it's just a classic point, cycle. Well, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, but Drew makes a very, very good point. Um, if you lose your job, if you lose your job, 
Um, and again, Jack, I mentioned this, this to you, that point to you over and over again in the office over the number of years. I said the tipping point for real estate, and again, is that leveraged person out there. They will get tipped up when they lose their job. And if, again, your current mortgage is being supported by two incomes, it only takes one of those, in- and, and you're fully maxed, it only takes one of those incomes uh, to be put on pause. That can cause a lot of family stress. So I repeat, part of Warren Buffett's mantra, Jack, you said the opening of the show, um, that when the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked. Uh, friends, you own an RSP, you got investments in your RSP, the market's down 20%, you don't panic. And you don't need to panic because you own outright your position. The problem is when you get forced out of a position, and again, in the world of the stock market, you often hear the phrase, oh, margin calls were taking place. People who borrowed money to buy mean stocks, who borrowed and leveraged against their crypto, uh, all of a sudden are being taken out by the uh, margin clerks, the guys who run the credit desk at these brokerage firms. So that's how you get yourself into trouble. And real estate is no different. If you've taken on too much debt uh, and are relying on two incomes to support that debt, you put yourself at risk. And the name of the game is risk management and, 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 and live a happy, peaceful, calm life. So you got to mitigate those factors that can cause you stress and keep you up at night. Um, we're actually going to get a great conversation in the next episode, next show, I should say, the next sequence. Um, uh, Dean Skirk is going to join us from BitBuy. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency. That's a uh, boy, oh boy. You think the streets have gone up a lot there. <laughs> the place of crypto. It's been uh, absolutely spiraling. Uh, remarkable, remarkable times. Look, all of this shall end, my good friends. There are opportunities, um, you know, amongst the chaos. Uh, but, friends, if you need help, you have any burning questions on your mind, what should I do? Again, investigate now. The sooner you prepare, the better. And if you have any questions for Jack or I, you can contact us. Drew Donaldson, uh, mortgage broker, uh, president, CEO of Donaldson Capital. An absolute delight and a pleasure. A very formative discussion about the interest rates and the direction. Uh, of course, anyone has any questions or any needs, for your services, DonaldsonCapital.com. Uh, going to take a quick break and get right back to a discussion on cryptocurrency with Dean Skirka, president of BitBuy. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Love it. Hate it. Times of crises, U.S. dollar goes higher. Of course, uh, crypto traders thought there'd be crypto that would go higher because there's too much money printing and I don't trust the central bank. Oh, yeah? How'd that work out, traders, in uh, crypto? Now, I, I do confess uh, uh, in our growth mandate, uh, we have a very small position in, uh, well, it was a larger position that became a smaller position uh, in Coinbase Global, uh, the largest uh, crypto trading platform in the world, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, that is a general of the space as far as I'm concerned. It's been absolutely annihilated. Um, you've probably seen the television commercials for a Canadian company. Uh, actually, found it right here in Toronto uh, by a good family uh, friend of mine, uh, Dean Skirkup. Uh, television spot where Kyle Lowry's shooting hoops, and of course, he misses the hoops, and the spot focuses on all of his misses. <laughs> a very, very funny spot, uh, Dean. Congratulations 
uh, your art director who put that together did a very fine job. I, I can say that with authority as I used to be an advertising exec. As a matter of fact, it is company radio, of course, entertainment, believe it or not. Full circle has come my life. Uh, indeed. So, yeah, no, congrats on that. But uh, I think the exciting thing about your company, uh, Bitby, uh, what, founded a couple of years ago? I remember just after the company launched, we had you on the show. But, it, you know, the, the world moves quick. And uh, within a few years, uh, uh, Kevin O'Leary uh, stepped up with his company, Wonderfy, and, well, bought your company. Uh, wow. Uh, muzzle top, I have to say, my good friend on that move. Um, but then, since then, of course, crypto has absolutely uh, been crushed uh, from, what, 60,000 on the absolute crypto and, and uh, Bitcoin to, uh, what, some 20,000. So, so, Dean, uh, bring us up to speed. Uh, congrats on your company and on the uh, transition. Uh, how's that been working out? And, of course, what's the mood in the land of crypto? Well, thank you, Wolf, for having me on, and uh, thank you for the congrats on the deal. We're all super excited about it, and uh, hopefully we'll dive into it a bit later on in the show. I guess it's important probably to start with where you know, things are generally in the crypto market. I'm sure that's what people are focused on these days. And so let's just dive into it. I mean, you know, the year has not been um, as promising as many had hoped, as you alluded to, with the money printing and, and some of the stuff taking place with different governments in the world. Um, but more generally, I mean, the, the market in general has declined. And I think crypto is no, uh, you know, is not uh, any different from that or, or not safe from that at, at all. And as a risk on asset, I think it's no surprise that crypto has taken, you know, one of the larger beatings uh, across any industry. So, you know, BTC and ETH, the two biggest crypto assets, Bitcoin and Ethereum, are down 50 plus percent this year. Some of the larger altcoins are down even more. You know, people are hurting. And when you look to the reasons why, I think, you know, there's a few things happening that sort of highlight some of the shortcomings of where crypto is today and, and where it's hopefully going in the future. Um, yeah, no, speak, you know, to, speak to that, please, Dean. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think probably the most famous incident uh, of the year thus far has been the Terra Luna collapse, which operated the algorithmic stablecoin UST. And what happened there was the PEG collapse, which created a chain event, uh, which led to the collapse of the entire company. And so the market cap there was in the billions, you know, large institutional uh, hedge funds within the crypto space, large venture capital funds, you know, in and out of the space, all had exposure to this. And so I think what we're seeing now is sort of that domino really uh, starting to you know, bring itself to the light, if you will. Um, earlier this week, uh, centralized lending platform Celsius had notified its users that it had halted withdrawals, and they're rumored to be in a shortfall position with their client assets. And so, you know, sort of the contagion effect is starting to take place. Um, and, you know, a company like Celsius, which is a direct retail platform, would have billions of dollars as well on, on under custody. And so you can see the magnitude of impact there as well. Um, this week, uh, you know, in a similar fashion, Three Arrows Capital, which is, is one of the largest hedge funds in the crypto industry, is also rumored to be facing uh, insolvency issues. And so you're seeing this theme of, you know, leverage unwinding and large companies and funds are feeling the hit. And so, you know, whether or not this is causing larger concern, which creates sell-off or, you know, more technically, if these large institutions and companies are getting liquidated, which is forcing sell-offs, there seems to be a lot of sell pressure and a lot of negativity uh, with respect to sentiment in the market. And I think, you know, those reasons 
are, are probably some of the biggest um, that 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 are causing those those uh, those sell-offs. You know, there's a Dennis Gartman, uh, a, a market commentator, I used to pay a lot of attention to. He often wrote uh, when, when you got into times of crises uh, about the similarities between waiting for that um, uh, elephant in the room to rear its head. He used the analogy dynamite fishing. <laughs> God knows who would dynamite fish, but apparently if you, if you dynamite fish, what happens is when you, when you throw the dynamite in the water, the little fishies uh, get blasted first and come uh, up to the top. But it takes a while for the big fish down below to, to feel the reverberation from the, from the blast. And so they say the, 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 the big whales come up at the end. So we're talking about now a contagion, but perhaps, it, for lack of a better phrase, in the crypto trading space uh, with a lot of the uh, partners in the space um, being uh, adversely affected. Do you see some big whales coming up in front of us? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that's what's starting to happen, whether or not there are bigger whales or more whales of equal size that have to rise to the tide before we can move on is to be seen. Um, but certainly, you know, these names that I've referenced, whether it's Celsius or Three Arrows Capital, these, you know, uh, you, you go back three to six months, these, these, these companies are, are, are well established as some of the largest in the industry. Um, naturally, there are bigger companies, um, you know, in different uh, subsectors of, of crypto, but you're starting to see that, and I guess to be determined is whether uh, there are more or bigger whales to come to surface. But I believe, you know, that we're starting that process, and it's just going to be a matter of how long it plays out. Um, you know, it is important to say, despite all of that, there, you know, there are still strong signs of growth and maturity in the market within cryptocurrency. Uh, the U.S. is working hard on regulation, which will obviously be a, a strong. Um, uh, boon to the industry when that's over the line. And, you know, you look at decentralized platforms, which is really some of the true essence of this industry, and they've been able to perform, you know, over the last, you know, month or two, or, you know, even the rest of this whole year in, in high stress scenarios. So uh, there are positives, uh, but what you're seeing today is obviously driven by, you know, the, the, the reality of, of, you know, a, a 50 plus correction, 50% plus correction across the board. Uh, Jack brought up a very, uh, I have to say, surprising um, statistic to, to my attention uh, a few days ago. Uh, and that was, I think it's something to the effect, Jack, was it 12 or 13% of all Canadians uh, have some form, directly or indirectly, of cryptocurrency assets uh, under their stewardship. Um, I, I couldn't believe how high that number was. Because uh, I know virtually no one who has any any crypto assets, uh, and I'm obviously in the business of finance. The the, the pandemic got a lot of odd lotters, uh, a lot of really small investors into this whole new realm uh, of making money, uh, sitting at home using technology and trading these weird things. Not not oil stocks or bank stocks or gold. No, there's this weird stuff, meme stocks, and and of course these new new forms of crypto. Not just Bitcoin, but um, all of its um, derivative plays, per se. And the average account size, apparently, for crypto uh, accounts uh, with the 13% is $500. It's nothing. Uh, so that really speaks to Dean, what we call the odd lotter. And, and back in the day, uh, before digitization, if you bought stock, you'd buy it in board lot. The board lot of stock was 100 shares. If you didn't have enough money to buy 100 shares of whatever stock, you'd have to buy what was called an odd lot. And they were hard to come by. 
And it was usually at the end of a bull market that the small investor who wanted to participate uh, after such a run entered the market, purchasing what was called an odd lot. And it was usually uh, the kiss of death uh, for for any market when the odd lotter got into into play, which makes perfect sense. Uh, Again, the smart investor is in there early when things are cheap and distressed, and they hold a position. Uh, The the, the, the new investor, the the uninformed, uh, inexperienced investor, buys after the move, and of course, expecting it to continue to go higher, uh, when at some point things have to be um, removed or re- returned back to good old Mother Earth, and uh, it just happens time and time again. So, so uh, Dean, Dean, can you? Uh, we're going to take a quick break. I want you to speak to the odd lotter and and, and the small uh, crypto investor versus the serious long money in crypto. Quick break. We're going to get back to Dean Skirka, uh, president of Bitbuy, a Canadian uh, crypto trading platform. We can also open up accounts and we can act as your custodian. Uh, Dean's a good guy. Uh, very informed. Stay tuned. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back, my friends. That song is a lie. I don't feel good. I feel nauseous. Uh, dark days out there, I must say. And, and it, it, boy, the dark, the, clouds, the dark clouds moved in quickly. Yeah, there are signs of, of, of a change in weather without question. Uh, but, boy, those clouds, I have to say, came in quick. You know what? Trust me. The, the, these dark clouds will pass and the sun will shine. If I had another segment, I'd give you a little jaw wobble. Uh, but this is our last segment for the show, so Jack may remind me next week and play some jaw wobble on the show. Uh, but right here, right now, we're in the thick of it. Uh, I don't care what you own. I really don't care what you own, with one exception, oil. One exception is oil. Uh, boy, the world's gone gaga for oil. Well, we own some oil, Jack and I, for our clients. And that's been a, knock on wood, a fantastic hedge for us. It's helped us with some of the other carnage that's been taking place uh, in this marketplace. But uh, the, the government bond, here's one for you, ladies and gentlemen. If you bought a nice, secure... Uh, government of Canada bond where you lend the, the Trudeau government uh, money for 30 years uh, a year ago, they would have given you 2% each and every year. And, all right, hey, Trudeau, here's a million bucks. Uh, every year you're going to pay me interest of 2% and in 30 years you're going to give me my million bucks back. Well, huh, if you bought that bond uh, and looked at it today, uh, that bond would no longer be worth a million dollars. That bond that you lent to the government of Canada is worth $750,000. It is down 25%. Uh, so crypto holders, you know, I know your tie is probably in your soup or you're crying in your soup, but uh, there is some comfort in, in broad misery. There's a lot of pain out there uh, in all asset classes. Of course, the stock market's in quote-unquote bear market territory. Friends, you don't sell bear markets. You buy them or you do nothing. Um for long-term investors. If you're investing for the next 12 minutes, you shouldn't be owning stocks. You shouldn't be investing in the first place. It ain't about 12 minutes. It's about 12 years. The fact of the fact, you look at the long-term success of equities, they go higher. Long-term return of the U.S. stock market is 11%. How long? 75, 85-year trends. Long-term bond returns, 5%. Long-term inflation trends, 3%. Canadian dollar long-term, 75 to 80 cents U.S. Those are the long-term facts, and you got to remember those facts 
when you get into these periods like this. And Jack always brings up a very good point. I want to pipe in here with this last statement before we pivot back to Dean Sterka. But Jack brings up, if you overpay for something, it's okay, but you just have to expect your future return to be below average. And if you underpay for something, get a good bargain, you can expect your future return to be above average. Simple, isn't it? Uh, Dean Sterka, uh, let's talk about crypto investors. You got the odd lotter, uh, the guy at home who got some served, served money from the government, didn't know what to do with it because the, the mall was closed. They uh, went on their phone and started to do what their friends were doing, which was getting rich, uh, trading crypto. And their parents were looking and saying, oh, my God, you're making 100 percent. I'm making three. What is wrong with me? Um, so you got the odd lot investors, the little investors, and it's a $500 account. But then you have some real money behind it. You're starting to see some pension assets and some institutional assets. So, you know, as a hedge, long term, we want to have a little position in this new ledger-type asset class. Uh, what's the divide, and, and, and where is the future? What type of investment do you think is in the future? Yeah, well, I think you're right. Like, the, the, the whales in every market, and, and certainly they have uh, a large degree of influence with the crypto prices where they are. But I think generally when you refer to odd lotters, I think more broadly what, what what's sort of transpiring is this rise of retail. And it certainly, you know, was, was, was apparent during COVID, and there probably are some factors that – Played into that, um, but I think more so than anything, it's just the access to technology. So you look at companies like Bitbuy, Robinhood, whomever. They're offering these odd lotters, as you put it, easy access to making these trades themselves. And so, you know, while it, it, it might be a relatively new exercise in terms of how these guys can perform and how susceptible they are to these, you know, sudden moves in the market. I think long term, you will see a more educated retail user on average as they actually get the direct experience themselves. And I think, you know, what's interesting is even further down the risk curve with stuff like NFTs, you're seeing even younger demographics entering the market and actually, you know, trading. Now, some can be successful, some can start successful and be unsuccessful, or some may just never find a success. But certainly at that young of an age to be learning that firsthand, I do believe there is value. Um, then, you know, will eventually lead to them becoming better traders, hopefully. Um, you know, generally see, uh, speaking, where is the market heading in terms of who's going to, you know, lead us out of this catalyst? It's certainly going to be the whales. And, you know, to your point, pension funds, larger institutions, that really, that narrative really kicked things off in Q3, Q4 of, of 2020, uh, when the Paul Tudor Joneses of the world were coming out and publicly buying Bitcoin. So I think you'll have to see something similar to that where some big names come and stand behind this, you know, over the next, you know, period of, you know, uh, you know, where we are today to really elevate the asset class, give it a new, uh, you know, fresh, you know, sense of life and, and, and give that long-term conviction back, which is clearly missing today. Uh, Dean Skirka, president and founder of uh, BitBuy, uh, was courted by Kevin O'Leary recently. Uh, Kevin bought the company and now he works with Kevin, uh, Kevin O'Leary, a company called Wonderfy. Congratulations to all of your uh, Toronto and Canadian success team. I'm so proud of your family and yourself, of course, as well. Thanks for your insight uh, in the crypto market. We'll get you back on the show soon, I must say. That's it, my good friends. going to call Thanks, it a weekend. I want to wish you a safe one, a profitable one. And uh, cleaner heads always prevail. Uh, please, if you have any questions, you contact Jack or I. We are here for you. And this is when you need us most. 
uh, please uh, take advantage of the uh, offer that uh, Jack and I are making to you right here, right now. Call us anytime, WolfgangKlein.com. Have a good weekend. We will speak to you right here on 640 next Saturday. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.